Good morning, ABC. My name is Ricky Reed. So excited to have you online with us. First up, June 9th, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., we have a blood drive going on in our gym. It's a great way to help our community, especially in this time of need. So go to our website, abcchurch.org, to find more information on that. Alrighty, September 17th through the 19th, women, we are going up to Hume Lake for the fall retreat. Not me, but you. It's going to be awesome. If you have not been before, it's a great place to learn about the Bible, worship, meet new and old friends, of course, and it's just going to be a great weekend. So go to our website to find out more information or to sign up. Did you say meatball subs after the 1045 service this Sunday? It is our Sunday lunch. Bring $5, come hang out with your church family, and we really hope to see you there. Thanks for joining us online, and have a super Sunday. Well, good morning and welcome to ABC. Thank you so much for joining us online. I uh, just wanted to mention before we get started, we have uh, live services happening every single Sunday now. And at the nine o'clock hour, we're in the worship center inside. And that's been a fantastic time um, each weekend to gather there and to worship together. And then at 1045, we're outside in the worship lot and we have kids ministry during the 1045 service, both for early childhood and for elementary. Um, we'd love to have you join us on campus if you haven't made it down for a service yet. Uh, maybe you're new to ABC um, or maybe uh, just coming off of this season, you haven't made it back down to a live service. Um, we really believe that God has called us together and that there's so much benefit from circling up together uh, as a family, worshiping together, opening his word, uh, reading audibly and aloud um, the word of God together, and enjoying the fellowship and community that we do when we uh, circle up. And so we'd love to have you. Um, today is actually a special day. It is Pentecost Sunday, um, which is the day that we celebrate the birth of the church and the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2. And so to celebrate, um, we're actually having a, a lunch, a Sunday lunch. You may have heard Ricky mention um, that's taking place today. If you happen to be watching this video Sunday morning um, and you haven't made lunch plans yet, come on down. Um, we're going to be in the courtyard right around noon, and we've got lunch provided for $5 if you want to um, purchase lunch or bring your own and come on down and enjoy lunch together at ABC as we celebrate uh, Pentecost Sunday. So we hope to see you there this afternoon. Uh, we're going to jump right into our, our series here through Philippians. Um, last week, uh, Tom shared this one verse, this really pivotal verse in verse 12, talking about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And today, as we jump into verse 13, kind of beyond from there, um, this is an, an equally clear and monumental passage. Let me just read the first couple of words here, or maybe the first sentence. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Preaches a sermon in one sentence, in one verse. It's pretty clear. Uh, I could probably say that verse a hundred more times and have that meaning not change one bit. Um, it would be as clear as I just read it. It's the, the truth that we all need to hear, that we as parents wish our kids had a t-shirt um, <clears throat> that was printed on, do all things without complaining or arguing. Right? And we, we get it. We, we hear this or read this and go, okay, great message, Paul. Yep, I get it. Good reminder. Um, I'll take it, to, take it to heart and we'll try to move forward today without complaining or arguing. We can all agree that's a helpful message. But I have one problem. 
and it's with the second word. Uh, the second word is all, do all things. And here's why, because I could make a pretty good case for some specific times when I feel justified in making an argument um, or even disputing, as Paul says. Um, there are some specific times, I bet you could too, that you would say, yeah, but that really warrants a complaint. I need to file, where do I file a formal complaint? Because this is something that's worth addressing. I had a bill come in the mail uh, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, from the propane company. We're on propane at our house, um, which means we get a delivery. So not like natural gas, you know, it just comes uh, through the pipes. So we get a delivery to our tank. And uh, for those of you on propane, you know um, that when the delivery comes, um, it's usually not a small delivery and it's usually not cheap because it's usually four or five months worth of energy, at least at our house it is. And so it's always a question whenever that bill comes, like how much money did I set aside for utilities in the last three or four months? Is it going to cover the bill? Well, this particular bill um, was for $5.85 a gallon, which if you know propane or even if you don't, if you just think about the price of gas, that's an astronomical amount of money to pay for five <laughs> propane, $5.85 a gallon. And so my jaw dropped and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's no way. How in the world did it go up to $5.85? So my lawyer friends would be really proud of me. I began to build my case and I went back and I started looking at the contracts and I looked at the delivery schedules and I looked at our lease agreement on the tank and I built my case and I had all this information ready and I'm gonna pick up the phone with indignation and I'm gonna call a propane company and I'm gonna tell them where they can put their $5.85 and so I pick up the phone and I go through the you know little automated dial things and I finally get through to someone and I start sharing my opening statements. The courtroom is mine. And I begin by saying, this is the lease agreement that we have on our propane tank. This is the typical delivery schedule. This is the typical rate in which it's delivered. And also we typically don't allow for our tank to dip below 30% and the deliveries are never more than 80% capacity of our tank. And I go in and tell them all the information that they don't need to hear or frankly care about all the things that I know about the propane delivery company and I get to the very end of my opening statements and I say, I received a bill for $5.85 and I need that changed. And the lady on the other end of the line was so sweet, so kind. She says, oh, $5.85. Yeah, that's a typo. Let me fix that for you. And she just changes the rate that fast with no, <laughs> no pushback, no feedback, just quietly, calmly, and gently change the price. And I realized in that moment, all I had to do was to pick up the phone and say, I think there was a mistake. My bill was $5.85. But instead I had to grumble and I had to dispute and I had to prove my point because I felt justified because I believe that what Paul meant to say is do some things, no, do most things even at that without grumbling or disputing except when you're justified. And I realized Paul meant what he said when he said all things without complaining or arguing, without grumbling or disputing. And I realize why he said that, and he's about to tell us here in just a second, that 
um, that we are to be lights to a very dark world. And if we are to be lights, we need to do so without grumbling, without disputing, without complaining, because complaining shades the light to the world. So if we are called to be a light, if we're called to be uplifting, if we're called to speak positive truth into a very negative world, a negative generation, if we're, if we're called to address darkness with light, we can't do so while we're complaining. I guarantee you that that woman on the other end of the phone was not uplifted by my opening arguments. She wasn't encouraged. She didn't receive any truth, didn't hear anything that she didn't already know. And her life was not altered for the better because of my phone conversation with her. You see, when we complain, when we argue, when we dispute and grumble, it shades our light to the world. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read, I want to start back at verse 12 where Tom left us last week because it gives us a little bit of context for where we're going to get this morning. And I want, I want you to see this verse in the context of the whole thought that Paul's sharing here. So read with me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain." And so Paul introduces this concept as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, because I've heard good word of you obeying and following, I want you to now approach every situation. I want you to approach every conversation without arguing or complaining, without grumbling or disputing so that you can shine that light bright. And I want to walk through this and see specifically what's Paul asking of us. How is he asking that we conduct ourselves and live so that we'll maintain that light. And the first thing is that we simply do it without complaint, that we do all things without complaints. The first point there on your outline. Now, here's the argument that I would make or you may be making about complaint. There's an awful lot of things worth complaining about. There's an awful lot of things in our world worth commenting about. Could I say it that way instead? That there's plenty of, of comment-worthy uh, evil and frustration and darkness and even appalling things about our world. And so he calls it out, I think, in order for us to diffuse the argument before we even make it. So he says, I understand this is a crooked and a twisted generation. Don't, don't get me wrong. Paul un understands exactly what was taking place in the surrounding community, the surrounding culture around Philippi. And although we might think our world is far worse than theirs, there was plenty of things to complain about. There were plenty of cultural issues 
um, dynamics surrounding the church in Philippi in which they could complain, which I think is helpful that he just simply calls it out and says, you know, make no mistake, I'm aware of the fact this is a twisted and crooked generation, which is all the more reason why you ought not complain. I imagine Paul addressing Christians at ABC by saying, look, I know you're not happy with the direction the world is going. I understand the frustration with school curriculum changes. I, I, I know it's heartbreaking to see the integrity of the family be eroded before your eyes. I know you're not thrilled with the economic decisions being made. I realize the death tolls of the unborn in your current environment are daunting. I get it. I see it too. So be a light. Nobody's arguing that the world is twisted. Nobody is fighting against the idea that this is a crooked and depraved generation. We can all agree on that. So Paul is saying the question is, are you going to be a light to that crookedness? Are you going to speak truth to that crookedness? Are you going to bring something positive to the table? Or are you going to shade the light to the world by complaining about it? This is how we're supposed to exist in this world without dispute. To understand the gravity of what Paul is saying, I think it's helpful that we back up to verse 13. Let me just read what he says in 13. He says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this is such an important context in understanding when he's talking about don't, don't dispute don't complain about the crooked and depraved generation, the crooked and twisted generation, because it is God who works in you. So if you understand and you hold fast to the sovereignty of God, if you really believe that God is holding all these things, that he's in complete control, that his perfect and powerful hands are holding every single circumstance in balance, then you wouldn't complain about it. That we wouldn't believe that that somehow these uh, things are spinning out of control. And so we ought not grumble if we believe in the sovereignty of God, as Paul says, for it is God who works in you. If God is working in you, if he has placed you here in this world for such a time as this, isn't it possible that we could navigate this crooked and twisted generation without grumbling about it? Now, What he's not saying, and this is really important, don't miss this. What Paul is not saying is that we should roll over, back down, apathetically approach moral truth issues in our society and culture, that we should simply say, ah, the world's going to be the world. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, we destroy arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. He's not saying that you, you don't battle for truth. Battling for truth is more necessary now than it's ever been. What he's saying is let's just not grumble about it, okay? I'm not saying that we, we simply roll over and say, well, the world's going to be the world. And so we give way or give, give over to the world and just let things happen the way that they're going to happen. No, he's saying stand firm, stand fast. He's going to say hold fast in just a minute. Hold fast to God's word of truth. Address truth. Address darkness with truth. Grab on to it. Here's a couple helpful clarifying questions, I think. As you approach dark and frustrating and 
twisted circumstances or situations, I think it's helpful to ask two things. One is, do I have the opportunity to speak biblical truth into this situation? And the second is, by doing so, could I potentially bring change? Do I have the ability to speak truth and might I bring some change? And if the answer to either of those questions is no, then be careful that you're not simply complaining. If the answer to either of those questions, which oftentimes is yes, then let's look at how we address those situations with truth. Let's look at how we might bring positive change. Let's look towards solutions instead of just acknowledging or grumbling about problems. Otherwise, we, we run the risk of joining the world in their own grumblings. And grumbling about them will only diminish our light. There's a perfect example of, of this discernment of kind of knowing the, the line of when do we say truth and when do we just kind of keep our mouth shut in uh, the dialogue that's taking place between Jesus and Pilate in his final day on earth and in the trial, um, both in, in Matthew 27 and I think it's in Mark 15, um, where Jesus is before Pilate. Pilate basically um, says to him, point blank, are you king of the Jews? And instead of this formal rebuttal, like Jesus, you know, could have fairly done, said, am I the king of the Jews? No, I'm the king of the world, right? I mean, he could have responded so many different ways to that question. But his simple response was, you have said so. He just puts the truth back in Pilate's lap and just says, you said it. You you communicated it. What you said is true. And then he goes on and says, well, don't you know all of the accusations that are being brought of you? And he starts to list them. So he tells them all these accusations that are being brought before Jesus. And Jesus says nothing. It was a critical moment in which he could have easily said, uh, he could have set the record straight and said, look, Pilate, if I were really a criminal, if I were really trying to overthrow Rome, if I was really trying to cause some kind of um, uprising here, don't you think I would have gone about it a little differently? You really think I'd be sitting here with you if I was actually trying to overthrow Rome, if that was my intention? He didn't do it. He had the perfect opportunity, and yet Jesus, in all of his discernment, he spoke truth when he needed to speak truth. When Pilate questioned, are you the Messiah? He spoke truth, and then in, in response to the rest of his process, the rest of his argument, he said nothing. And Jesus remains blameless in his refusal to engage in the argument. And I think that's really important. I think what's what really what Paul is getting at here. He says that by doing so, if we uh, approach every conversation, do everything without grumbling or complaining, we will remain innocent blameless children of God. That's the second point there, that we do all things without blame. Pay close attention to this phrase in verse 15. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I think that phrase, in the midst, is really important because that implies that this community of people in Philippi, or at least what he was encouraging them uh, to do, was to stay connected and engaged with 
the culture, to stay engaged with this, quote, twisted and crooked generation. See, I think the easiest thing when we sort of look at the writing on the wall and we say, well, I kind of know where the culture is going. I kind of know where the schools are going or, you know, we kind of see the way our, our, our political climate is going. And um, we look at uh, the Internet and the social media thing and we, you know, we, we start to see the twistedness of our culture and we tend to want to withdraw and we say, well, I'm not going to take part in that. I'm, I'm stepping out. I don't want to see this go the way that it looks like it's inevitably going. And so we, we withdraw. And yet Paul says in the midst that we would stay in the midst. I think what he's saying is really while engaging in the world, remain unblemished. And that's the hardest thing in the world to, to be in the world and not of the world, right? That's what we're called to do, that we would do everything without grumbling or disputing, which would allow for us to stay unblemished because we're not participating in the grumbling or the argument or the, um, the questioning that's taking place in the world that we're, we're right, right there in the midst, as he says, but yet unstained, unblemished. The temptations are so prevalent for us just in this one simple thing, the grumbling, the arguing. In fact, it's socially uh, and culturally acceptable to complain. Isn't it interesting if you get a group of um, one social group of people together. So imagine a group of husbands or a group of, of wives or a group of mothers, a group of students. So whatever social group you want to um, sort of define out, you get one group together and somehow it becomes socially appropriate for that group to complain about another? Have you noticed that? Get a group of men together and somehow it's socially appropriate for that group of husbands, if they're married, to complain about their wives. It's like appropriate to do that. Do, do, you, do you follow me? That if you get a group of students together, it's appropriate, somehow culturally acceptable for that group to complain about their teachers. Or for a, a group of mothers to complain about their children amongst each other. There's, there's some kind of uh, power in numbers, I think, as it relates to... If you're one-on-one, -on -one, it's a little bit harder, right? You know, that's, I'm not going to go to you know, meet somebody and then complain about my wife. I hope I'm never complaining about her at all. She just doesn't do anything to complain about. She's amazing. But, but you have this kind of power in numbers and sort of safety in numbers and this cultural appropriate... Um, kind of, uh, you know, covering that it feels like, yeah, it's okay. And then one person sort of does it and you kind of jump on the bandwagon and go, oh yeah, you know. And I, and I think this is exactly what Paul is getting at. He's saying, do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining. When you get together, be the positive voice, be the uplifting one, be the one guy that's like, I don't know, man, my wife's pretty amazing. I mean, Nobody likes that guy, right? <laughs> You're kind of like, come on, is he even real? But I think that's because it's so culturally uh, abnormal. 
And so if we become the culturally abnormal people in those environments, imagine the light we could bring. Imagine how we would begin to wear off on others. Imagine how high tide raises all boats, that we end up elevating others' approach, that their lens uh, toward the world, that their lens toward their relationships, towards their children, towards their spouses, towards their parents, would change because we decided to be the one that was going to refuse to grumble and refuse to complain, and we ended up without blame in result. Complaining shades are light to the world. Imagine the light that we could be, how we would shine if we refused to complain. Verse 15 um, finishes by saying um, that to this generation, we become lights. It says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And that's Paul's third charge here is that not only would we do things, do all things without complaint, without blame, but that we would shine bright. Matthew chapter 5, 14, I love Jesus' words where he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. This is exactly the sentiment Paul's getting at here, that we would shine bright, that our light before men would be a testimony to the light that God has put in our hearts, and that we wouldn't allow that light to be shaded or shadowed or covered or or tinted even by some kind of negative lens toward the world, some kind of complaint some kind of rebuttal all the time. If we agree that the world is dark, we confront the darkness with truth. If we believe that there's a lack of truth, then we combat lies with light. If we want to make a lasting impact on this current generation, then we need to shine bright. Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing, without grumbling, without disputing, and we will in fact shine like the stars in the universe. Our complaining shades are light to the world. And finally, there's a really important principle that he closes with in verse 16. He says, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We'll get to that last part in a second. But first, Paul says, Hold fast. That ultimate light comes from the unshakable word of God. And we've been given a gift in the word of God. He calls it the word of life. That Christ, the word of Christ, the word of God dwelling in us and written in manifestation for us to hold on to in these moments when we see darkness all around, we go back and consult light. There's a, uh, <clears throat> a translation that, that says, um, holding forth rather than holding fast. And it could be translated either way. The Greek word there is epeko, and it's, um, it's either holding firm or holding forth. And you could sort of argue that there's a different meaning in each of those terms, but I think really it becomes the same meaning because in order to hold forth, you would need to have first held fast, right? So either way, whatever way you choose to translate this, it still means anchoring yourself, grounding yourself in truth in the word of God so that we can extend it as light. That Paul was saying, we hold fast to the word so that we extend that very light, the very word to the world. And as we shine, we shine with truth. 
and that as we see twisted uh, darkness, as we see frustrating generational dynamics take place, that we confront those things with truth and that our light not only is our testimony by refusing to grumble and complain, but our light is also the truth that God has given us. And so we extend it and we hold fast. This is where the spine comes from in Paul's argument. This is where uh, the not backing down, the not rolling over, the not approaching culture with apathy comes to play because we have the word of truth. We have God's truth that we are allowed to extend to the world, that we've been given permission to extend to the world. And so now it simply becomes a question of how we do it. That's the age old question of engaging with culture, right? How do we communicate truth and yet hold grace and balance? How do, how do we measure our delivery so that it's calculated in such a way that it lands? If we just went around spewing truth at people all the time and we never took the time to, um, to embrace relationship and to understand story and uh, participate in conversation and to try to understand context, then it's, it's not going to be helpful. We're not going to be a light. But if we refuse to argue and dispute, if we refuse to complain, we maintain our witness, our testimony, we remain unblemished, we now have permission to speak truth. That we hold fast and we hold forth the word of life, the truth from God's word. And we understand that there are so many non-truths in our crooked and depraved generation, things that need to be addressed. And there's a perfect and foundational way to address them by extending this word of life to others. It comes down to earning the right. Have you earned the right to speak truth to someone's life, to speak truth into this crooked and twisted generation because you've refused to complain, because you've refused to be negative about that environment, that person, that situation? Have you remained unstained and unblemished so that you have now earned the right to speak into it, to stay above reproach and blameless and to point the world to the word of truth and allow for it to shine bright? But if we choose to complain, if we stay on the, on the negative end of the spectrum and continue in um, grumbling and moaning about the darkness of our world and the crookedness of our generation, we shade that light. We, we put this dark filter on the light and it can't shine bright the way that God has intended it. I want to conclude with a kind of a risky proposal for you. And I, I understand all the reasons why you, you may not choose to do this, but I want to just encourage you to do so. I want you to think about it. Would you be willing to sit with somebody that you are close to, trusted person, a friend, um, roommate, a parent, a spouse, and ask them, genuinely ask them to help you self-reflect, to say, do you think I complain and argue often? Now, here's the risk in that. So if you, if you are, are genuinely and, and authentically going to have that conversation, if you're like me, you already have a rebuttal completely formed in your mind for their response, right? So if I'm going to sit with my wife and say, do you think I complain and argue often? 
I know what she's probably going to say, and I have good reason to answer her with something like, well, I, I am negative about certain things because they, they, they are as bad as they seem. Or, of course, I argue about those things because I'm, I'm oftentimes right in that environment. Or whatever it might be, you have set the stage in your courtroom, much like I did with that person on the phone earlier on, and you have prepared your opening statements and you're ready to tell that person why you feel so justified in arguing, why you feel justified in seeing the world as bad and as negative as it is, and you've a good reason for grumbling about the environment, grumbling about the current state of affairs, either in your family, school, workplace, church, whatever it might be, there is good justification for your behavior. So what I'm asking for you to do is to close the book on those opening statements. Set aside your pre-formulated rebuttal and literally just listen. To sit with someone and say, do you think I complain or argue often? And allow them to speak. And if they say, not often, but... There is one specific thing that it feels like you often complain about. Let them share that with you. Let them be honest with you. Let let them be heard in that moment and hear them and, and take it to heart and think, am I complaining or arguing? Am I... Am I grumbling or um, or arguing against something that is something I have no control over and no ability to change? Or am I grumbling and complaining or disputing against something that I have an opportunity to speak truth into and I haven't? And then ask them for help. I think we all need help with these kind of things. To literally say, okay, I hear, I hear that. Would you help me? Would you help me stop when I begin to grumble? And you might even need a buzzword, you know, like 2.14, you know, the verse Philippians 2.14. You might just need something that's just like, hey, 2.14, you know, a reminder that you, you need to stop what you're doing, stop what you're saying and consider, is this shading my light to the world? Is this, is this shading the, the message of truth that God has given me to share to the world? Am I causing more negativity in my environment based on what I'm saying and doing? And allow for that to be self-reflective. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I'm so thankful that Paul uses present tense when he is writing to the church in Philippi, that he doesn't say, you will shine. If you do this, you will shine. No, he's talking of, as just as he did in verse 12, speaking of their ongoing obedience, he's speaking of their ongoing light. You shine, you do shine. And I could could so easily replace the the church in Philippi here with the church in Tascadero. ABC, you shine to a crooked and twisted generation. And if you refuse to complain, and dispute. If you continue holding fast to the word of God, you'll shine even more brightly.
let's continue on in our pursuit of of knowing Jesus and loving Jesus more and reflecting his light to our community. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for allowing us to represent you, for allowing us to shine. God, you know I am as susceptible as any to give in to complaint, dispute, argument, And Lord, I believe that it's not what you want for us. I believe that what Paul writes, what you wrote through him, what you've led him to write to us today, is that that's not helpful. That it's it's not keeping us unstained and unblemished. And so God, may we make a decision to refuse, to dispute, to grumble, to complain, to be negative about our world around us. And may with the same resolve, Lord, we commit to speaking truth and being light to a very dark world. Use our church, use the individuals from our church, God, to continue shining light bright in our community. Thank you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen.